of Solomon. I've only preached out of it one other time. We're going to be in the first chapter this time tonight. Uh, I love God's word. You know that. I, I say it over and over again, but I mean it. You know, this, uh, this Bible that we have in our hand, it's special. And it is a privilege because uh, down through the years of human history, uh, men and women didn't always have a Bible. They didn't always have one in their language. Maybe, maybe it was in a different language, or maybe uh, it was so expensive uh, before the printing press, you wouldn't have your own. It would be there at the synagogue, and you'd hear it, uh, you know, and that's why they would try to memorize as much as possible. But, I, I mean, we have it. We've got free yeah. access to it. We've got a bunch of them in our houses. Yeah. Uh, they're in our, on our phones and everywhere else. Praise God for that. But we got to make sure it's in our heart and mind as well. We need to fill our mind and heart with God's word. And I'm glad we can come in together uh, and dig into it tonight. But actually, the first verse, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, we're going to go down to verse 8. It says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savior uh, of thy savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee? Draw me; we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. Uh, we will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon, for why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for being with us tonight. Lord, we're uh, digging into your word tonight. Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to help us, to teach us tonight, to help me to preach. Give me the unction. Lord, take away the distractions. And Lord, yeah. help us to focus on your word tonight. Lord, we know that some areas of the Bible aren't touched as much. And Lord, uh, we need every Every part of your word, and I ask that you'd help us tonight in that. And in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. amen. So this is a short book of the Bible written by King Solomon. His name is in the book seven times, uh, and really what, uh, what they think is he wrote this when he was younger. You know, Song of Solomon was when he was younger. Proverbs he wrote probably in his middle ages, and then Ecclesiastes in his yeah. older age yeah. when he had uh, really in Solomon's life he had done really well at the beginning. He followed uh, God's will. He built the temple, Amen. but after that it was just downward. You don't see really another good thing in his life. You don't see uh, you know you just see he wasn't a bad king, but you just see where he uh, just tried the different ways of the world, and instead of trying to do God's will and to be as faithful and close to God. Uh, as he was at the beginning. He was one of those examples where he was good at the beginning and it just kind of faded. I, I don't know about you. I don't want that in my life. I don't want a close relationship with God and, and being in his will and then fading away. I want to I want to get closer to God if it's possible. And the only way that'll happen is if we let him work in our life. But this book of Song of Solomon, it's it's full of emotions. It's a, it's a love story. Uh, and we see it's a love story between Solomon and the Shulamite girl or the Shulamite woman. So these two are the main characters and you can see them 
kind of going back and forth. Uh, you have to be careful because uh, as they're talking, you just one verse to the next, it switches from one uh, to the other. So you have to kind of keep up with that. But if you read the whole book, which doesn't take very long, uh, you see this love story from when they meet to when they get married uh, to the life afterward. And it's a, uh, it's a beautiful picture. But then you, you should probably ask yourself, well, why is it in the Bible? You know, if it's a love story, why, why is it in here? Because you don't see uh, explicitly where it talks about Jesus or God. You don't see it named uh, in the story. Uh, but as you dig deeper, you can start to see spiritual things in this book. Now, remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Remember after he had risen from the dead, it was the evening. Uh, there on the road to Emmaus, he appears uh, to that husband and wife that are walking home. They're confused uh, that people have talked about the empty tomb. You know, they're thinking maybe he's alive. We don't know. Maybe they stole the body. And then Jesus is walking next to them and asks them, you know, why are you so sad? And then gets in this conversation. If you remember that story, remember that Jesus starts to explain the Old Testament. And what it says in that story is he starts to tell them uh, through the books of the Old Testament how, where he was. Like, here, here I am in Genesis and Exodus. It goes through it. In fact, he names uh, that he taught uh, them from the books of Moses, the beginning books, the prophets, and the Psalms. And the Psalms would include the Song of Solomon. So knowing that, knowing that Jesus was teaching them on the road to Emmaus, the whole Old Testament, where he fits in, he's got to fit in in this book. That's what that means. He's got to fit in here somewhere. And like I said, some books are easier to figure out and some are more difficult. Uh, but we see he is in that. So Jesus has to be in this book. And because he's not specifically named, that means, Harper, come up here and sit. Come on. No, come up here and sit. You're interrupting. Since he's not named uh, as a character, then we have to be looking for a type in the Old Testament, a picture, a foreshadowing, you know, something like that of Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, well, what does that look like? Well, we've got different examples. So in Isaac, you know, Isaac's a type of Christ. He was the son of the father Abraham. Remember the only begotten. That's what it's, he's called in Hebrews. And he was offered. Remember, he was going to be offered. Uh, uh, but again, he's not a complete picture of Christ, just a glimpse of it. Remember Joseph, he was unjustly treated by his yeah, brothers. Yeah. He was uh, uh, the suffering servant, you know, just like Jesus would be. Again, a picture of it. Uh, Joshua, remember Joshua leads them into the promised land. Aren't you glad he leads us where we need to be? He is our, our, our uh, military lead. He fights the battles for us. Uh, so then, uh, and then David, you think, of, who was David? The shepherd king, right? Who's Jesus? The shepherd king who was mighty in battle, a mighty warrior. But then you've also got Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah, he was the prophet of sorrow and pain. And remember, they put him down in the pit, and then they brought him back up later. I believe that's a picture of Jesus Christ right there. He, was, he went down into the pit, but on the third day, aren't you glad? He rose from the dead. So these, in the Old Testament, we get little glimpses of Jesus Christ. And this is just a handful of examples but we can see shadows of Christ. So that's when Jesus came. It shouldn't have been a complete mystery to anyone that knew the Old Testament and that studied it. But it still takes the Holy Spirit to put it all together. Or Jesus explaining it to you on the road to Emmaus, one of the two. 
But I, I believe in this story we've got King Solomon is one of the main characters, and I believe that he is a type of Christ. Again, these types are not perfect pictures. They're men. They, they sin. They make mistakes. Uh, uh, but I believe uh, uh, what we have is if Solomon is a type of Christ and we've got a love story, then you have to ask yourself the question, who's the bride? Who, who's the other side of the love story? Well, the Old Testament tells us that the Lord is married to Israel. We know that from Hosea, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah. It's mentioned many times. But what did Israel do over and over again? They played the harlot, right? That's what we see over and over again. They, uh, they traded the relationship with God. They wanted idols and everything else. We've been talking about this over and over again lately. Uh, but even though they played the harlot, even though they were basically committing adultery with God, God did not give up on them. Yeah. Aren't you glad? Yeah. He said, I, and Hosea, I'm married to the backslider. He said, I'm not uh, leaving you. I'm not giving you up. He's waiting for them to come back. But he's already married to Israel. But... There's another one, right? The church is engaged or betrothed. What do you want to call it? To Jesus Christ. And we're not going to get married to him until we're up in yeah. heaven, right? Yeah. Uh, and until after he raptures the church, takes us to heaven, shows us the place that we, he went away to prepare and we get married to him. So a Jewish person could read this book and could see themselves as the Shulamite woman. And then as Christians, we can see ourselves as the bride of Christ as yeah. well. I don't think it's a coincidence that it works for both. Spiritually, you can see it both. So let's dig into it a little bit. But again, this is a love story too. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. So the Shulamite woman is speaking in verses 2 through 7. She speaks first, and she declares her love for him. That's what we see in the beginning. Uh, and you see a deep affection between them too. She desires for him uh, to kiss her, and then she says, thy love is better than wine. She wants his love and affection. She desires it more and more. And you know what else you can see in the relationship if you read through the whole thing? Is that she has a contentment with him. She's content with him. She, she desires him. She loves him and that relationship. And you can see that in there. Verse 3, because of thy, the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. She's saying now, uh, talking about his name. See, the, in those days, you know, the, that ointment would be like the precious um, uh, types of perfume and different things that uh, you'd have what the regular people could afford, and then you'd have what royalty could have, which was much different. So he was royalty, and he had that sweet-smelling ointment that, that would have made him smell different, but also she's talking about your name. The ointments of thy name, she's talking about his character, his reputation. Not only was she physically attracted to him, she was attracted to who he was, his character, how he acted, how he treated uh, people. That attracted uh, him to her as well. So it wasn't just a physical attraction. You know, in Hollywood, that's all they have, right? Just a physical attraction. What what works for me? You know, what, uh, what satisfies me? And it pretty much is all just about based on looks. But it goes more than that. And at the end, it even says, therefore, do the virgins love thee? So other women saw his good character, too. And it made her love him even more because uh, people could see uh, uh, what a blessing he was. And that's... Uh, 
you know, you think about it, that's good relationship advice right there is to see how that person treats other people. Yeah. Right? When you're yeah. dating, you're, you're yeah. putting on your best face, yeah. your best, uh, uh, that's your best self. But look at how they treat others and to get a glimpse of the true character, not just the polished version. But you see, uh, you think about King Solomon, the picture of Christ. Uh, not only is he, uh, he is the one that we love, but you, you think about the, uh, that attraction for who he is. He loved us before we loved him. Aren't you thankful for that? Then four, draw me. We will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Uh, we will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. So that Shulamite woman, she desires to be with them. Uh, but uh, for some reason at that point, they can't be together uh, until what happens. What is she asking? She says, you draw me, right? Draw me to you. Call me to come to you and I'll run after you. And I, I think about sal we get a little glimpse of salvation right here, don't we? Uh, it, there's no way that you and I could have been saved without the Lord drawing us first. Right. Isn't that wonderful to think about? You remember the day uh, that you got saved. Remember how he drew you to him. Uh, and that's what she's saying. I want you to draw me. And I thought about this one night. I, I don't remember if it was a revival or what it was, but I was at Southwest Free Will Baptist one night uh, for an evening service. Uh, and it came time for the altar call, and it, it something happened that I'd never seen before. There was a man almost in the back of the church. Now, this is a long church, uh, and as soon as that uh, uh, the invitation started, as soon as they were started singing, he came running down the aisle to get saved. I'd never seen that before, but when I read that verse, I, that picture came back into my mind of someone that desired the Lord so much, he just ran. He didn't want to waste another second to get to Jesus, and you could just see her saying I'll, I'll run to you uh, as soon as you draw me and isn't that wonderful as soon as it started running to Jesus Christ so you can see in these first few verses she definitely has an attraction with him there's a love for him and everything else but then it flips a little bit in verse 5 I'm black, but comely. O oh, you daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. In verse 6, uh, look now, not upon me, because I am black, because the sin, the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard have I not kept. So she's attracted to him, but then she sees herself as unattractive, right? Unworthy. Not he's out of her league or whatever they, we would call it today. Uh, and then she she mentions being black in the two verses, but she explains it in verse six. And really what she's saying is she's dark tan is what she is because she has to work outside in the hot sun taking care of the vineyards because her siblings were angry with her. And you can read that. And it'd be hard to understand with our, our culture today. But I've been to Central America quite a few times, and I remember seeing over and over again the women, when it's sunny out, would have an umbrella and hide their skin from the sun. They didn't want to get any darker than they were. See, that's confusing for our society. Most women want to be darker. They want to be tanned, but it's the opposite. It was the opposite down in Central America and probably the same here. They didn't want to get any darker because in that day, it showed that you were a laborer. You were outside. You were kind of a lower class of a person. If you were darker like that, if you had a light skin, that means you were able to stay inside. You were able to, uh, you 
know, have servants and people do things for you. But she basically, you think about that, she saw herself uh, as undesirable. She she didn't see herself as worthy or, or attractive to him. You know, and her mindset is, you can just think about her mind saying, I'm not worthy to be yeah, loved yeah. by him. Uh, everyone that's upright loves him, but I, I'm not worthy. You know, I'm not good looking enough. Uh, so many other girls are prettier than I am. I'm not smart enough. I don't have a good enough job. I'm too short. I'm too tall. You know, just any of the things that make you think unworthy. That was going on in her mind. But I'm going to skip down for a second uh, and down to verse 8 real quick. Uh, uh, she asked the question uh, that we'll talk about in verse 7 to him. And he answers it in verse 8. But look what he calls her. He says, oh, thou fairest among women. And you could see there for a second uh, that she didn't think she was good enough for him. Uh, but look at how he describes her. Uh, you are the fairest, not just good looking, uh, uh, not just, a, 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 you know, a good one among all of them. You are the fairest. You're the one I love among all the women. You know, you think about the devil. Isn't he always trying to convince us we're not good enough? Yeah. Well, we're not. Uh, we've done too much wrong. We failed God too many times. Yeah. There's no more room for forgiveness. There's no room for salvation. He won't save us. He won't forgive us. But aren't you glad uh, that I, I love Romans 5 8 but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Yeah. Even in our ugliness and yeah. our filthiness of sin uh, deep in the trespasses of life polluted and ugly by this world cast out by the world Jesus saw something worth saving in us. I don't know what he saw. The Shulamite didn't understand what Solomon saw in her, but he said, oh, thou fairest among women, and aren't you glad he saved our soul? He made us a new creature in Christ. He removed the record of all the sins in our lives. Praise God. He, uh, when he looks at us, he doesn't see what we see, right? We remember the, the failures. We remember the sin. We remember all those things, but he's cast that as far as the east is from the west, and that is real forgiveness, and that's real love. Yeah. And that's what he's showing her right there. He's saying, uh, he's not just he's not just saying that to say it. He believes it. Oh, there thou fairest among women. Praise God. Verse 7. This is back to her. Her question. Tell me O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? So remember, they're in a hot climate, you know, deserty kind of area uh, that they live in. They didn't have air conditioning. Uh, so at, at noon, it would have been the heat of the day, the hottest part of the day. Uh, so they, they would have found rest and taken the animals to rest in the shade and kind of uh, taken a nap uh, there in the hot part of the day. And then as it, as it started to cool off, they would leave that area and go on. Uh, so you, you, you think about this. Uh, she's asking him, hey, where are you going to rest in the heat of the day? Where are you going at noontime? And it makes you, it should make you question because she's asking, she's saying, hey, where are you taking your flock at noon? And we're thinking, now, wait a second, if this is King Solomon, why is she asking the king where you're taking your flock as if he's a shepherd? Well, it appears through this book that at the beginning, when he first, they first met, he didn't dress like a king. He was checking on, she worked in one of his vineyards. And uh, he, it sounds like he was the original undercover boss. He dressed up like a shepherd, 
to go out to see what was going on. If he dressed like a king, they'd see him from far off. They'd get all busy and get up back to work and everything else. They see a shepherd come by, they wouldn't think about that. That's not the, the one that owns the vineyard. So it was a little, you know, a little sneaky, but he was able to figure out. Uh, but also with her, she didn't know he was a king. She just saw the shepherd. And she's asking the shepherd, hey, where are you going to take your sheep to rest? Because I want to be there. I want to be there at, at noontime with you. I want to spend more time with you. Where can I find you is what she's asking him. Now we'll go back to verse 8 that we looked at a little bit. If thou know not, remember, where do I find the one whom my soul loveth? If thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. She's saying, or what he's saying back to her, if thou know not, if you don't know where to find me, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock. You know what she's saying? And remember, he's a picture of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for Jesus Christ, and you want a desire to be close to him, and you're trying to figure out where to find him, you know what Jesus called, said of himself in John 10, 12? I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. The writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. Peter calls him the chief shepherd. If you want to know where to find Jesus, you know, it's not that hard. You know what he's saying? You follow the footsteps of the flock if you want to yeah. find him. Yeah. You, want to, you want to find Jesus? You follow his sheep and you will get to where yeah. he's at. Yeah. You know what drives me crazy? I am so sick and tired of people that act like they're so close to the Lord, yet they don't need to be involved in any church. Have you met a lot of people? Yeah. They're so spiritual, they can't get along with anybody, which I don't understand. Uh, they, you know, nobody's good enough, nothing's perfect enough, uh, God understands, I don't need to be saved, to, or I don't need to be in church to be saved. You hear all these things over and over again, yet, yet, yet what I'm going to ask them is, hey, if you read the entire New Testament, uh, and then ask yourself, can I fulfill the responsibilities that God has given me as a Christian in the New Testament without a church? You can't do it. Most of it you can't. You can't do any of it. You, that is why he designed us together. He put us together. And, and here's the thing. He is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is. And that's not a mistake. And the church is necessary in our lives. Uh, you know, so here's the thing. If you want to get closer to, to Jesus Christ, you've got to get involved in his church, in the local church, and be faithful to it, and serve the Lord in it, and watch him, and come in and worship where he'll be right in the midst. That's what he yeah, said. Amen. Just like he promised. Amen. That's what he's amen. telling her right there. We, she's asking the question, where are you going to be at? Asking a shepherd. And he said, just follow the sheep. Right? Follow the sheep. And I thought about just this opening section. How powerful is it even just in the first eight verses? But when you get to the end... And you've, you've kind of figured it out and got the context and we've made some spiritual applications and it's been a blessing tonight. But one thing we've got to do every time we open up God's word is we've got to apply it to us, right? How does this apply to you and I? So the Shulamite woman loved him. 
She wanted an intimate relationship with him. She wanted him to draw her to him. She, Once he did, she would run to him. She saw herself as unworthy for him, but uh, he said she's the fairest of all. So they're deeply in love. And, and, you know, sometimes again, like the world, we think of love as just in a physical sense, but what about spiritual love? Yeah. You know what Jesus Christ said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? Verse four, nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And we're all familiar with that verse, right? We've heard it over and over again all our lives, right? Maybe you've kind of memorized it. Maybe you've heard it. But let me ask you a question. What does leaving your first love really look like? What's it look like? What is it? You know, we some of those these phrases, they roll off our tongue so easily. But what does it look like? What is it? Because, hey, I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to do it. Because remember uh, the solution in verse five, Jesus said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out yeah. of its place. Except thou repent. He wants he said, hey, if you yeah. left your yeah. first love, you need to get back and fix it. So what does it look like? Well, we know what it looks like in an earthly relationship, don't we? People going, growing cold. Have you ever seen people that uh, go from being married to just being roommates? Have you ever seen that? Where the, the love is, is just about gone. Uh, and then when I thought about what does it look like spiritually? I think losing, leaving your first love spiritually, all you have to do is take some of the things we see in the Song of Solomon and reverse it. Right? What, what did they have? They had a desire to be together. What happens when that desire starts to fade away? Right? That desire for Jesus Christ, it starts to fade a little bit. Right? Uh, they, they desired for an intimate relationship uh, when the desire for that starts to get replaced uh, with other things. Right? The children of Israel, their desire was changing from the Lord to idols. You know, whether it was an idol of the heart or a statue or anything else. Uh, and, and see, it's going the other direction. She wanted to run to him. I tell you, leaving your first love is you're just going to walk to him and if it's convenient for you, right? And being where he is with the flock, that desire starts to go away. So as I thought about this, yes, we can see the love story. Yes, we can see the beauty of love. Yes, we can see the, uh, uh, you know, the, the spiritual side of it. And we can see uh, that drawing together and how they loved one another and everything else. But I believe it should also cause us to stop and think, how is our relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're not saved, obviously the first thing is you've got to get a relationship with him. You've got to start it. But if you are saved today, Maybe doing an inventory. What's it look like? I don't want to leave my first love. He's yeah. done everything for me. He sees me better than I see myself. He, I, I, I see myself as unworthy, but he says you're worthy. Why? Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Yeah. That's yeah. love right there. He wants us to be with him, but he will not force it. He's not taking the sheep to where we are. He's saying, hey, you want to be with the flock? You come to where the flock yeah. is, right? He, he's saying these things over and over again. And what about communicating with him? Is it just once a day just to get check the box? Or we have that desire to talk with him, to give him our burdens? Do we have that love? Love to serve him and everything else. I believe it's just one more test or, or one more time where we can look at ourselves and judge ourselves, right? If we would just judge ourselves, uh, we can take care of things before it's too late and we'll stand before him. He loves us tonight. But how is your love life 
with Jesus Christ. I know sometimes it seems weird, you know, because uh, uh, this world has made love, so they, they pervert everything, so it seems weird sometimes, but the Lord really loves us. He desires us. He died for us. He's gone away to prepare a place for us, and he's calling us home someday, or we're going to close our eyes in death and open them where he's at. He loves us tonight. But while we're still apart from him, how's our relationship looking? If you, like I said, you can read this entire book of the Song of Solomon. It doesn't take very long. And you can see the love that they have. And then think about it spiritually. Can you imagine yourself in it? How far away are you or how close are you to what's going on here? And aren't you glad? He loves us as much as he does. It's hard to even explain it. But he does. What a God. What a God. We're going to... We're going to open up the altar. You can pray at your seat or, or come to the front or turn around and pray backwards or whatever you want to do.